This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Susie Amos Cameron has been involved in environmental causes for a long time now. As a mother, she got concerned about toxins and took every effort to ensure that her family only ever used natural products. She strove to provide healthy meals, going as far as to seek out grass-fed local meats, and even started a goat milk farm on her property. She thought she was doing a great job, balancing a family's health with that of the environment, until she saw a documentary that changed her worldview and set her and her husband filmmaker, James Cameron, down a path to becoming advocates for a plant-based diet. Since this initial revelation, Susie has founded the Muse School, along with her sister, Rebecca Amos, that serves 100% plant-based meals to their students. She founded the One Meal a Day for the Planet, or OMD, movement, that is a multi-pronged effort to transform eating habits and the food system, and authored a book titled One Meal a Day, the simple plant-based program to save your health, save your waistline, and save the planet. But that's not where her efforts to promote plant-based eating end. In this engaging conversation, Susie shares more about how she and Jim Cameron recently founded the largest organic pea protein fractionation facility in the world and have launched a number of other plant-based initiatives such as Cameron Family Farms and Food Forest Organics. She talks about their future plans to get into the consumer packaged goods arena and shares more about how they're taking the Mew School Global. While there are plenty of studies and facts that indicate our planet is on the brink of environmental collapse, Susie believes educating people about the power of plant-based eating can lead to enormous change. I certainly agree and couldn't be more excited about the projects Susie has in the works to set this change in motion. To learn more about them, listen in. Susie Amos Cameron, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. 
Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I was saying earlier, I'm a total groupie. I love what you do. <laughs> well, well, the feeling's mutual. I've been following the work that you've been doing um, in the environmental space and most recently connected to food. Obviously, a big overlap there in terms of what we're focused here on Eat for the Planet. Um, and we've been in touch over the years, but I'm so glad we can finally have a focused conversation right when your book is coming out. So timing couldn't be better. Um, so why don't we kind of start off, um, I'd really like to know when you started to get interested in the environment, because I know this hasn't been a recent um, thing for you. You've been an environmentalist for many years now. What first sparked your interest in environmental issues? Well, I think if we're specifically talking about the environment, it was probably around the first time I, the time I had my first child, which was hard to say, but 28 years ago, um, I started really looking at, you know, all of the environmental toxins that were around, what people were using in their in their yards, what people were using on their bodies. I mean, when you have a child, you you only want to surround them by the purest possible, you know, substances, not only going inside their little bodies, but on the outside as well. And you know, cut to cut to years later um, when I founded Muse School with my sister Rebecca Amos. So that was 13 years ago. Um, we decided we wanted to start an environmental school uh, for young children, and we started with you know kindergarten and first grade. We had 11 children. We now start at two years old and go all the way through high school, and we've got 225 children now. Um, but all of that, that decision to start that school um, was preempted by a lot of the work that Jim and I had done together around the environment, um, investing in renewable energies. And um, I was, you know, working with a lot of different uh, environmental NGOs, sitting on the boards and uh, leadership councils, things like that. And um, and so then we, we started the school because the idea behind it was really that, you know, as adults, we all pat ourselves on the backs, you know, for if we can have solar, for having solar, for driving a hybrid or an electric car and for recycling. But with children, if they're, if they're brought up with it, it just becomes part of their fabric. So mm-hmm. when they see a plastic bottle you know, lying on the ground, they they don't think, oh, let's pick it up and recycle it, which they do anyway. They think that doesn't belong there. Yeah. 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 That's, you know, the work you've done with Muse, I've actually visited the Muse school back at, this was probably the earlier days back in 2015 um, and was just blown away by, by the, the approach to education. And, and I know, it's still just one school, and and we can we can get into the plans for expansion. But as of now, it's still one school, right? Yes. Yeah. So I remember the 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 first thing I walked away thinking was this is this is these are the first lessons kids should be taught. Um, unfortunately, in a current regular education system, you don't kids are not taught ecology and how food is grown and how the environment is connected to us and we are connected to it and we are part of it in many ways. So actually, that we are part of it, uh, and that to me was just a fundamental lesson that gets. 
that doesn't get communicated to kids and then eventually it, it, it kind of gets lost along the way as you go and get a career and move on in life and do different things. So firstly, I commend you for, for having thought about um, focusing and tackling the issue of education because um, it, it is, from an environmental standpoint, undoubtedly it's a big problem. Uh, but but in general, I think we can do a lot better. Um, and it's it's interesting how your journey from being concerned about your kids led you to go and do something about it. So uh, it just goes to say that if you follow your intuition, you, you life will kind of show you the way and you just have to then follow it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, um, you know, one of the main reasons why we started the school was that um, Jim and I both brought a child to the marriage and we watched them go through different educational systems. And I personally loathed school. <laughs> um, I just went to school with a tummy ache every every single day. I was a good student, but I just, I was so shy and I really, really didn't like school. And I started noticing with our two older kids that they were really being try you know, they were trying to put them into these boxes that they just didn't fit into. And when the and then we ended up finding this really great high school for them and it really celebrated them for who they were. And all of a sudden they just I mean my my son just he opened up physically. I, I watched his shoulders all of a sudden go from, you know, crouching forward to to arching back. And our daughter, who had lived under a hoodie for a very long time, all of a sudden that hoodie came off and, you know, her purple and blue hair came out. And, and they were they were really um, celebrated for the individuals that they are. And their um, their schooling was organized around, really around what they were into, their schedules were at school. And so when Jim and I had three children together and the oldest of the three was getting ready to go to kindergarten. And I started looking around at schools and I knew, you know, there were, I had these criteria. I wanted to make sure that, that the children were going to be allowed to learn in their own way at their own pace, that they would be taught about the environment and taking care of their land, that they were going to be understand, you know, gardening and where food actually comes from and that they were going to be fed beautifully and that they would have rigorous academics, but that the academics would be built into what their passions were. Mm. So um, I begged my sister. (laughs) She has a master's in early childhood and she had opened a, a facility, an early childhood facility in Wichita, Kansas. So I begged her and begged her and begged her and begged her and, you know, being the persistent older sister that I am, uh, she finally acquiesced and and, um, she commuted for quite a while to L.A. to help me start it. And now she lives here with her husband and they run they run the school now. They're there every day. And um, so it was there was such an interesting journey around it, because I remember from day one, um we wanted to make sure that it was a zero um, zero toxins, zero pesticides, zero dyes on on the site. And we even had a policy, have a policy, that the teachers don't wear perfume. And 
you know, every every rug that we had, every piece of furniture, every curtain, um, we made sure that it didn't have any off-gassing or that it was zero VOC paints, you know, all of those kinds of things because we really wanted it to be a toxic-free, dye-free, pesticide-free zone. Yeah. And with that, um, there was a situation that happened right before we started the school where my oldest son came home from school and he said to me, Mom, why do we have plastic bottles in the house? Well, this was, you know, 14, 15 years ago. And I said, well, well, we need water, sweetheart. (laughs) And he said, Mom, we don't need plastic bottles. We can just, you know, drink it out of the tap. So I thought I was being so good. I got rid of all the plastic bottles and and I got a water dispenser. (laughs) He came in and he said, "Uh, Mom, that's really great. Uh, But that big bottle is still a plastic bottle. So I was like, so what do you, what do I do then? And he said, we can get a filter for the house. So this was, you know, he was a Mm -hmm. freshman in high school at the time. And so from that moment on, we put filters not only in our homes, but that's how we started the school. We had filters and each child got their own canteen when they started school. And that has continued through for the last 13 years. Um, And there was another, you know, the other piece of it is that um, I guess we're going to get into, you know, the food and the connection with the environment. And I can just jump in right now if you want me to. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, when uh, when my son was little and I I really got involved in uh, making sure that everything that he was eating and that I was eating was organic. Mm-hmm. So we went down the path of, you know, all organic dairy and grass-fed beef and free-range chickens and, you know, cage-free eggs and all of those things. Um, we always had, you know, our I think our dinner was always always revolved around a big salad for sure. Um, But we were eating all of those other things, and I thought we were eating perfectly. And then um, I met, uh, when when Jim and I got together, you know, I slowly kind of um, revamped our kitchen and, and everything, eh everything was organic. And, and And then when we opened Muse, everything was the same way there. And I just, I wanted to make sure that the kids were being nourished beautifully. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of raised beds, so they were growing produce. But again, we had uh, free-range chicken and grass-fed beef and blah, blah, blah. And then May 6th, I watched Forks Over Knives, and it totally blew my mind. Um, a friend of mine, Elliot Washer, had told us about it. He's um, an educator, a very well-known educator, and had been plant-based for a long time. And that DVD sat in my office for probably nine months. <laughs> when somebody tells me about a book or a DVD, I typically get it, and my stack gets very big, but I eventually watch it or read it. And um, anyway, I grabbed it on the way down to the gym, and I literally had to just sit down and watch it. I felt so gut punched um, about halfway through it because I thought, wow, we've been 
advertised to our whole lives that we need, you know, animal products to have meat to have strong muscles and we need dairy to have strong bones and strong teeth. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma and we actually grew our own cows and our own pigs. And my mom, I don't know how many times I heard her say in my lifetime, and I'm still hearing it from her, you girls need to drink your milk. And so when I saw Forks Over Knives, um, and we were kind of at a situation where, you know, Jim, I was coming to it from a um, health point of view. Mm -hmm. Jim has heart disease and cancer on his side of the family. I've got heart disease and cancer on my side of the family. And, you know, people, the doctors were telling him, you know, that he probably needed to start taking some, you know, meds for his heart prophylactically. Mm-hmm. There, there wasn't any, even anything wrong. They were just <clears throat> looking at, you know, that genetics word. And um, anyway, so I, I watched this movie and I grabbed it and I went straight up to the house and I just said to him, babe, <laughs> I need an hour and a half of your time tomorrow. <clears throat> and he said, oh, oh, okay, well, where are we going? I said, we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to watch a movie. Oh, cool. Well, wh- I-, I love movies. What are we going to watch? <laughs> and um, I said, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I just want to sit and watch it, and then we can have a conversation about it afterwards. And sure enough, we watched the whole thing, and by the time we got from our kitchen in, or our TV room into our kitchen, he said we shouldn't have any more animal products at all. Oh, wow. And 24 hours later, we had cleaned out the kitchen and we actually had goats up at our ranch. And 48 hours later, we had stopped the production production of the goats because we were making our own goat yogurt, goat cheese and goat milk, which was super yum. Um, but it just, you know, and I, I realized that it's a very small percentage of people that decide to blow their kitchen up and go cold turkey, as it were. Uh, but that's just how we roll. Yeah. And um, so, and we just, we felt the, the effects immediately. And it was right around that time that, you know, Jim started educating me on the environmental issues even though I had been in all of these environmental circles and worked with environmental NGOs, no one ever talked about the connection between animal agriculture and the environment. So, you know, I walked into, you know, one of those meetings and I said, I really think we need to put animal agriculture on the table. And, You know, over the years I had watched, you know, every month I went to these meetings and I watched pretty much every environmental issue you could think of, you Mm -hmm. know, from dead zones to biodiversity loss to deforestation to ocean acidification, climate change, melting glaciers. I mean, all of those things. And there was a moment one day where I just had this flash of this flower and in the middle of the flower was animal agriculture <laughs> and each petal were these environmental issues and they all connected back to animal agriculture so you know it was kind of on that front that i just thought 
there is something that can be done here. And uh, probably about three months, two, three months later, Jim and I were actually taking a walk on the beach. And he's kind of a doomsday kind of guy. <laughs> like if you watch his movies, he's, you know, Avatar and and Titanic and Aliens and, you know, um, Terminator. Yes. He, so the guy never uses the word hope. He actually has a T-shirt that says hope is not a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were walking on the beach, and he and he said, the, "For the first time in my life, I have hope." Well, needless to say, I almost fell into the surf. But um, he said, "The more people that we can get to eat plant based, mm-hmm. the more we can move the needle on climate change." So it was in that moment that I thought, you know what, we have a solution, and it's. Because I think people, so many people get completely paralyzed by the environmental issues. You know, they watch these environmental documentaries and you just become completely paralyzed and depressed because mm-hmm. there aren't real tangible solutions that an individual can do. Yes, you can donate to uh, organizations if you can afford it, you can get solar or, a, you know, an electric car. You can certainly change your light bulbs and recycle and do all those things, which are great. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that everybody eats every single day. And you can make a huge difference just by what you put on your plate. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, it sounds, I mean, I went through a very similar process in my mind and I didn't see a flower for sure, but that's definitely a better image than what I was seeing. Uh, but basically I was, when I learned about, um, about our food system um, and what was happening to the environment. It, it was just the, the entire planet crumbling around this one industry. Um, and of course, this one industry is tied into what we put on our plates three or more times a day. So, you know, the answer kind of becomes simple if you're a logical person, that if I change what I put on my plate and I encourage other people to do the same, we could we could completely transform the system from the inside out. And... What I find interesting about your story, though, is that it sounds like you both, or maybe maybe you didn't know the environmental impact of the food industry or hadn't done enough research at that point. But it it sounds like you were amongst those circles where this should have been um, the number one topic of conversation for years, because this hasn't been a secret, really, um, but, but unfortunately has not been spoken about enough until perhaps I would say in recent years. I mean, if you look at the news, just the past couple of weeks, there have been a couple of new reports that came out uh, that, and I've seen even mainstream, you know, big media outlets like CNN talking about how cutting down on meat consumption is the number one thing you can do uh, to counteract the devastating news that, you know, we have 12 years until catastrophic climate change takes hold and we have the short window of time in which to do something. Um, but, you know, I find it interesting that people are have been environmentalists for years and somehow never made this connection until much recently. Um, do you Did you ever, in your conversations, um, discuss, like, how is it that this never came about and you had to watch a documentary that was about health to lead you down the path to learning uh, how this one industry is responsible for nearly 
every environmental problem out there facing the planet, with climate change being the top one. Yeah, um, I seriously never heard anyone talk about it um, until Jim started telling me. And when I when I started doing a little digging after I found out, because um, even when I did bring it up, um, and I, I you know was invited to to join the food committee um, in these organizations, and went to, I think, three of the meetings, but their main focus was antibiotics and meat. Hmm. And I kept saying to people, and I would show up with books and DVDs, and I kept saying (laughs) to people, you're missing the point here. This isn't about antibiotics and meat. And they said, well, I know, but, you know, it'll help a little bit, you know, for people to cut down on it because they don't, you know, they don't want to get these, you know, deal with the superbugs and that sort of thing. And I got very frustrated because... They didn't want to hear that piece. And I really think, and maybe this is a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but I really, really think that it's because a lot of donors Mm -hmm. of these huge organizations are probably connected somehow to the beef and dairy industry. And, um, you know, when I, when I, think about the organizations that are talking about it. I mean, Greenpeace is talking about it, mm-hmm. but I would say just in the last maybe, like you said, like three, three, four years. Yeah. Um, but they've created huge campaigns, which are fantastic. And uh, Sierra Club, is they've, they've been very open to it. Um, and like you said, I mean, it's, it's becoming, you know, front headline news now. And the the United Nations that came out with their report last week, um, yeah, it's mind blowing and it's scary. So it just it it just lights a fire, you know. That that little fire that's under my butt has become a complete raging inferno at this point because it just I just know that you know the more that message can get out there and the more people really understand what the connection is, that it will make a difference. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, because um, it's something that I actually did with the book, um, because initially I was going to f- I was going to lead with the environment mm-hmm. and then bring in health. Um, and it's heavily researched. I mean, we have the science behind us through Chatham House and climate scientists, and we've got, um, you know, all the usual suspect doctors behind it, Ornish and Barnard and Esselstyn and Campbell. And what we found out after we did market research is that people are way more willing to look at plant-based eating for their, for their health. Mm -hmm. So we flopped it around. And so it leads with health and, and goes into the environmental issues. But I always say to people, it's like, it doesn't, my underlying, my underlying reason for, getting people to eat more plant-based is absolutely for the environment. I'm happy if they, you know, lose weight and get healthy and get off their meds, of course. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that, you know, the animals don't have to suffer. But if we don't do something about the environment, none of that other stuff is going to matter. So I tell people, like, yeah, I don't care if you do it for your health or for the animals or for your skin or your waistline or for your sex life. 
I don't care. Yeah. Because everybody wins. There yeah. is zero there's zero downside to eating more plant-based foods. Yeah, I mean, um just to interrupt, I have a quick question on the fact that, you know, why is it then um because it's important to get this out of the way before we jump to the, you know, of course, you and I agree on on plant bases being the solution. But one of the initial pushback that I years ago started to receive, especially from environmental organizations, because that was one of my key drivers of why I focused on food. I I, I was concerned about the environment. Um, was usually they would point to um, smaller. Um, farms and uh, people who are doing grass-fed beef and um, organic dairy and and other smaller farms who did not have the the, the massive environmental impact that we have seen factory farms um, have on the planet, um, and and usually I found most of the 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 nonprofit or the NGOs. Uh, so many of them actually recommended that that this was a viable option from a sustainability standpoint, um, which to me seemed you know not to say that they're better or worse i think that's that's not up to me to to decide that um but i do think that it just brings up a bigger question is you're missing the the bigger picture which is that uh this isn't necessarily about how to farm animals in the most sustainable way it's the fact that you know 7.5 7.6 billion people on the planet want to eat meat and if we have to feed all of them meat all of the time and keep it cheap then the only way to do that right now is to have factory farming. And if you did shift to smaller farms, uh, the only way that would work if people all cut down on their meat consumption. So all roads eventually lead to the same solution. The only way you can feed millions of people, uh, billions of people actually, on a meat-heavy diet is by cutting down and incorpor- cutting down on meat, dairy, and eggs, and incorporating more plant-based foods. Um, and and eventually we would not have a choice because that is that is just the stark reality. As our population balloons now to about ten billion by the year twenty fifty, uh, this is just a logical conclusion we're all going to have to arrive at. Which hopefully is what's happening today, when you see the news. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that people don't realize either is that grass-fed beef actually emits more greenhouse gases than cows that are in CAFOs, Um, not supporting CAFOs at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of people don't realize that. And, you know, the bottom line, too, is that even if you know what your cow is eating and what your chickens are eating and... and, um, you're consuming that it's still animal products and it's still detrimental to your health as well um you know one of the one of the things that uh that came up at muse because um so about two two and a half years after we went plant-based jim and i sort of looked at each other and talked to Rebecca and realized we couldn't call ourselves an environmental school and still be serving animal products. Um, so we decided to make the announcement that within 18 months we were going to be a plant-based school. What we found out was that we are the first plant-based school in the nation and maybe the world because no one has raised their hand to say, wait a minute, wait a minute we were first. Um, but we started down the path. We took 18 months to educate 
our children, our staff, teachers, and the parents. And we had doctors come in. We had chefs. We had um, athletes. We had authors. We had climate scientists. And they came in, and they spent the day with the children, you know, going from classroom to classroom, speaking to them in a developmentally appropriate ways about their food and the environment and that sort of thing. And then at nighttime, we, we held a forum and invited uh, our, you know, the grown-ups of the community, and we also opened it up to the public, and we served plant-based food and gave them a glass of wine. And even after all of that, it was full-on mutiny. <laughs> when we said we were still going plant-based. So much so that they really thought that their children were going to be undernourished. Mm. So we had Neil Barnard and Dean Ornish create documents for us uh, to, you know, they're they're posted on the website and we handed them out and they're going to be there in the book as well. But all of the, all of the health uh, benefits from eating plant-based and even after all that, hmm. we lost probably 50% of our kids. Wow, okay. Unbelievable. So it was like, it was full-on mutiny. Now we quickly, in, you know, um, regained our enrollment, and, and we've now surpassed it by, you know, 120 more, probably 150. And um, the even through all of that, there was one day where... Um, Jeff, our head of school, who's my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, and he was there and getting very, very frustrated with these families because they were pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. Where's the protein and essential fatty acids? And and he said, people, it's one meal a day. You can feed them eggs and bacon in the morning and you can give them a burger at night. It's one meal a day. It's OMG. So that's where OMD was born, was at school. That's interesting. Yeah, so we created a pledge that all the kids do at the beginning of the school year, and the parents do too, and they can pledge one meal a day for for the year or two, or they can, you know, be 100%. And just one person eating one plant-based meal a day for a year will save almost 200,000 gallons of water and the equivalent of carbon in driving from Los Angeles to New York City. Wow. So the amount that you can actually make, you can make such a huge difference just being one person. I know for myself that, and I'm in a, I know that I'm in a um, unusual and and very privileged situation where I can start a school and I can create a dress design contest and I can start, you know, um, environmental NGOs and organizations and things like that. And I still would wake up in the morning and think, it didn't matter how hard I worked or how hard I tried, it wasn't really making that much of a difference. And it wasn't until, you know, looking at plant-based eating and how impactful it is that I realized that, you know, as a, as an individual, as one single person on this planet with this simple, elegant solution that I can make a difference. Yeah. No, I mean, it's such a, it's, it's almost, 
unbelievable how simple it is. It seems on paper, yet it is not necessarily simple to get someone uh, to to understand that we need to make this change. I think once it once it clicks in your mind, and once you feel it, you you see it so clearly. It's like a light bulb uh, going off, and you almost waking up from a dream state to realize that. Wow, we we can all just fix this right now. We only have to want to do it, right? We just have to choose to do that. And you know, it's interesting to hear about the school because and, and the fact that OMD, the idea even came out of there, because parents are the ones who are, and I've talked about this a lot before, is are the ones with the most amount of concerns. Um, because at the end of the day, what we've been dealing with is um, almost a cultural and information, you know programming a war out there for years and years and years convincing us that the only way to 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 get healthy and to grow strong and to grow big and to um, develop your brain is by um, consuming meat dairy and eggs so that mind you know that mindset is really tough to change um, and it's going to take years of work and you just getting it is not enough sometimes you've got to have years of proof and data to back it up. Um, and for people to then understand that, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that, that the, the book that you did, that you have coming out, you decided to lead with health and then talk about the environment later. You know, the more you think about the, the issue and the future of our food system and the future of um, our kids and our grandkids and what world they're going to come into uh, you realize that the f- environmental issues really can't be separated from the health issues because when we have 10 billion people on this planet and we are running out of land and fresh water and climate change is dis- decimating our coastal cities and uh, there's, there's you know crazy weather events and all the mess is happening and we've completely destroyed our oceans and, and uh, we're running out of fish in the oceans to fish, then you realize that that we're going to face a public health crisis. And that it may not seem clear to individuals right now who, when they think of health, they're thinking about um, looking better. And as you said, maybe it's their skin or their hair or losing a few pounds. And that's the only short-term concern that they're concerned about. Um, or if they're later in life concerned about chronic diseases and diabetes and cancer and uh, heart disease. But when you really zoom out from an individual perspective and you think about the the planet and our you know, population of humans and future generations especially, don't have to think about other people if you don't want to. Think about your own families. Um, and, and then imagine it is going to be a health crisis as much as it's an environmental crisis, and you can't really separate the two. So, you know, I think the fact that you are involved with the school uh, is, is, is amazing. I'd, I'd love to hear... If, if parents' opinions have changed over the years now that you've had this one meal a day in the Muse School that's plant-based, um, any any people who have come back saying maybe you were wrong or, you know, how those opinions evolved over the years as this has been proven to be completely safe and healthy? Yeah, so we've definitely had had people come back to school and, you know, realize that, you know, it was that we weren't completely crazy. The other thing which has happened too, which is fascinating, is that we've had families move from all over the United States to over to Calabasas, Agora, and that area to actually come to the school because it's uh, because it's plant based and environmental. I mean, the kid we have 150 raised beds, 
So the kids grow, uh, depending on the time of year, anywhere from, you know, 60 to 90% of the produce that they eat every single day. So they're learning that, um, you know, on a regular basis. And, you know, the thing when you're talking about, you know, how how you're met with resistance, I know that, I know that for Jim and me, after we went plant-based, I mean, we felt like, oh, you know, superwoman and superman. <laughs> we had so much energy and felt so great. And we were up on our soapbox. And everybody that came into our sphere, we were just like, you've got to go plant-based. It's the most amazing thing. And, you know, after a while, we realized we were completely turning people off. <laughs> they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to try it. And the, you know, the, the response and the... um overwhelmingly open reaction to OMD has been amazing because when you talk to people, you know, even, even when you talk to them about meatless Mondays, they kind of cross their arms and say, um, you know, well, I, that's a whole day. That's a whole day without eating any meat. And if you talk to them about OMD, you know, it's like, well, you could just put soy milk on your cereal instead of cow's milk, or you could have a bean and veggie burrito instead of a beef burrito, or have tomato sauce on your pasta instead of a meat sauce. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you just see their shoulders relax, and they're sort of like, oh, oh well, that's reasonable. That's, that sounds easy. I could do that. And then typically what happens is, yes, they do one meal a day. And then they realize if they're doing it for breakfast, they don't have that mid-morning dip or, you know, the afternoon slump if, or, if it's after lunch. And usually if, if they're doing it at dinner time, they're like, I slept better. I didn't have acid reflux. And so they realize that they feel better and lighter after they eat one meal a day, and they typically move to two. Mm. I don't know how many people I've had, you know, they write me and they're like, well, I'm up to two now. <laughs> You know, so it's it's this kind of um, domino effect is yeah. what's happening, and then they tell someone, and then they tell someone, and the, and people get they get curious about it. And as you know, it's I mean, just in the past six years, the you know the vegan plant based food industry mm-hmm. is exploding. I, I think they were saying that it's you know going to be a you know six to seven billion dollar uh, industry. By the end of next year, so it's it's um, it's really amazing, and it's trending not, not just here in the United States, but everywhere. And, yeah. and you know, we've already the the book is already in you know seven, eight different countries, and then we just sold the rights to all of the Spanish speaking countries. So it's there. People are curious about it, and they want to. They want to do it for their health, and some people, you know, again for whatever reason they want to do it. Um, so it's it's trending and I don't think it's, you know, like a trend. I think it's I think it's just moving in that direction. Yeah, you know, it's... we're talking about the food industry. Mm-hmm. So Jim and I when we went plant-based, our whole lives it we just did a 180. <laughs> and all of our investments became investing. We started investing in farms mm-hmm. and plant-based proteins. We built uh, the largest um, pulse fractionation plant up in Saskatchewan. 
and so we're you we're creating uh, plant-based proteins out of pulses, out of peas and lentils and fava beans, and we're actually working with the food center up there and creating um, food products out of that, like cheeses and ginger beef and pulled pork and snacks and sauces and, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, and those are actually the, the first ones rolling out will be OMD food products um, that will launch in early 19. Oh, so that's exciting. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything that we're doing and when we're talking about the, the school too. Mm-hmm. So we... Um, we actually just made the announcement last year, or last week, rather. Sorry, is that um, we are we've created a, a Muse School franchise model mm. to open Muse schools around the world, and all of those schools are OMD schools because they'll have the same philosophy. They'll all be plant-based yeah. and passion interspace learning and environmental. So. Wow, yeah. this this is all coming together, and I love the simplicity of the one meal a day, and I and I totally see why, you know, because if you tell someone do it one meal a day, it also doesn't seem like you're, you know, telling someone to go vegan, which you know most people are just never going to do, um, not not as quickly as maybe you did or I did, um, and I think what ends up happening is that it helps them to become mindful about what they choose for that meal. Uh, when itself is, is is a huge step forward because most people just eat what they eat because they're used to eating that. They grow up eating that. The moment you make them stop and reconsider and go to the grocery store and figure out what else is out there. I mean, look at, look at what's happened in the plant-based milk space, for example. Most people are buying um, non-dairy milk because they just prefer the taste. And they're probably eating an all-plant-based breakfast every day and not even realizing it. And so yeah. if you make people at least reconsider what it is that they buy, the bottom line is most people just don't think about it. And thinking is the first step. And then, of course, trying it and loving it um, and then feeling the impact of that on your on your health um, and your energy, as you said. And it's going to have this cascading effect. It's going to have this this impact throughout the rest of your day. And then they're going to tell others. And you have no idea what that's going to eventually um, kind of snowball into. So... Uh, I love the simplicity of it. So, w- w- what is what is next with one uh, meal a day? Of course, you have the book, uh, but I know it's much more than that. You have uh, is, is one meal a day a, a nonprofit organization? Because I know you're involved with some campaigns. Can you talk more about what the what the plans are in the next uh, year or so with with OMD? Yeah. So I have um, probably four or five books that that will follow <laughs> wow. um, I know once once I get on a roll for something it's but it just makes so much sense mm-hmm. and and um, it's you know when you when you realize you're on the right path it just flows yeah you know you, it's that path of, of least resistance um, so there is a campaign it launched uh, early September and we are working to with restaurants and schools um, to you know to have healthy options to have healthy uh, plant-based options available. There is we are also working on a um, a corporate deck. So talking to 
big corporations, hotels, airlines, um, restaurants, schools, the studios, um, about becoming OMD companies. And we're actually working right now to um, to create a carbon credit program because you can actually mm-hmm. get way more carbon credits as a company by having just by having you know plant based options and having one, having it be a one meal a day company than you can with planting trees and planting crops. Now, everybody should keep planting trees and planting crops. Um, but that's one of the things we're working on. And, you know, Jim, Jim is the, he's a poster child for it because he took OMD onto the set of Avatar 2 and 3, where he's shooting it right now. And it's the first plant-based catered set that we're aware of. (laughs) So they're serving 150, um, plates of plant-based food. Once a day for sure, and then every once in a while, if they if they're going late and serve a second meal, they do too. So, um, and we have we already have quite a few corporations who have you know given us a verbal yes, even even though they haven't seen the the pitch deck yet. Mm-hmm. So I'll be rolling out with that probably in two to three months. Yeah, I mean that is such a such a such a smart way to tackle the issue. I mean that's where I mean corporate at the end of the day everyone can do this and it's it's if you can if you can tackle the institutions the whether it's food through food service through the corporations themselves it is not such a hard problem to solve. I mean at the end of the day uh, you know there are companies out there who are trying hard to make their menus plan forward. Um, I've visited Google. They famously have been doing a lot of work on this front. Um, they have cafeterias around all their offices, but still they haven't really made a you know a one meal a day commitment in any form. They're just doing their best to be planned forward or cut down on the amount of meat that they use or source it more responsibly. But I think there are, there are other examples out there of companies who are willing to make bolder steps. And I think we've reached the phase uh, we're in 2018 now. We're we're sort of running out of time, but we still have a window. The fact that we have time to make a difference and we know we can make this difference by just changing the way we eat, it has to be done in an organized and in a in a smart manner. And I think eventually, like we've seen in the in the food industry in the last four or five years, completely something no one could have predicted, say ten years ago, that we would have had. Uh, you know the impossible burger in White Castle or beyond be the beyond burger t g i f or you know other restaurant chains now including plant based options that typically would never have anything like a veggie burger on the menu. It just goes to say that there's so much more to come um and I think we're gonna see that happen, and you know they don't happen accidentally things like this happen because people like you follow your your mission and use your resources and the reach that you have to to make a difference. So I I think what you're doing is is exciting. I'm I'm happy it's all coming together in the way that it is under the OMD banner Um, because I think at the end of the day, it is is the right message and the way you're going about it is is pretty smart. So I'm looking forward to seeing all those new things happening. What role is like partnerships going to play in this? I mean, I know in the beginning you... 
we talked about um, the work that you were doing with NGOs uh, from an environmental standpoint, even before you got involved with food, um, kind of coming full circle back to that now. Uh, has that conversation changed? Are nonprofits, uh, the big environmental NGOs, besides, you know, I know Greenpeace has come around in the last few years, are the others also waking up to this reality that we can't keep soft pedaling on this issue and we have to take a stance? Um, well, we're, we are definitely, we're partnering with Greenpeace um, on, on quite a, quite a bit with our campaign um, and doing some things with the Humane Society as well, because they've really switched a lot from um, in this sector, just lo- really looking at the environmental issues and and animal products, animal agriculture. Um, interestingly enough, I actually have um, a meeting next week with the president of one of these very, very, very large environmental NGOs. I'm not going <laughs> to shout out who that is right now. Um, but I, I think they're starting to be more open. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm blown away when I talk to people about whether they're, you know, with organizations or not, a lot of people actually consider themselves environmentalists Mm -hmm. and they have the hybrid or the electric car, they recycle, they, you know, they, they have the environment in mind, yet they're still eating animal products. Mm -hmm. So when I point it out to them, you know, you kind of see, you kind of see the 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 jaw dropping moment when you tell them that animal agriculture is the you know the second leading cause of greenhouse gases and climate change, more than all transportation combined. Every car, every airplane, every bus, everything, and you know, <clears throat> it's harsh sounding. But I don't think anyone can really realistically call themselves an environmentalist and still be eating animal products because every time you eat animal products, you are contributing to the devastation of our planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. It couldn't I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I think um, if you you have to keep you have to keep repeating the message. That's the that's the thing till it gets across to people and. Um, you know, I think luckily the the phase we are in right now, um, people's perceptions of plant-based food has also started to shift and change. What was considered to be plant-based a few years ago was nothing more than, you know, some tofu and rice perhaps. Uh, and that's undoubtedly not the case. And I'm not just talking about um, the the great restaurants we have in places like L.A. and New York and San Francisco but also the fact that you can literally walk into any major grocery store these days and buy uh, products that you can make um, a really delicious meal out of has made things really easier for people like you or me who are trying to spread this message out there and and convince people to just make a small shift. This isn't about everyone where uh, become, you know turning vegan overnight, and I don't think that that needs to happen even. I think if enough people just, you know, cut down on meat and dairy, ate one meal a day that's plant-based, uh, we we could really make a significant impact, not just in this country, but but hopefully around the world. And it all needs to start happening now. It's, it's unfortunately going to be too late. 
Yeah, I <clears throat> I totally agree with you. I mean, one of the one of the really positive things that you know I started hearing, I guess, a year and a half, couple of years ago, was you know the the beef and dairy industry. They realize mm-hmm. how how things are trending, and they're actually investing in those plant based meats and plant based you know milks. Yeah. Which, you know, that that's a huge message right there. Yeah, I know. I don't think you need a clear sign. I mean, I always say that to people. I said, you know, forget all the stats that I've said about, you know, how animal agriculture is terrible for the environment. Forget all the stats that I talk about. You may not remember any of the stats that I talk about how the plant-based food industry is trending upward. But the fact that the meat industry is also on board, and you know, not entirely, at least the big meat processors are seeing it and are keeping an eye on it and, and putting in some money into it right now, um, may be tougher to, to convince everyone within this giant system that comprises of factory farming. It isn't just, you know, at the end of the day, there are small farmers also impacted. And I think we've, we are yet to figure out how this entire system is going to transform into one that is... Um, going to have plant proteins at the forefront and perhaps clean meat um, as there there's a bunch of companies now uh, fighting that race to bring um, cultured or sell cultured meat to the market or clean meat to the market. This is an entire revolution and it's happening right now. And on top of that, you add the the cultural elements, the fact that people like you are talking about this and have been talking about this for years. And there are many more in the last few years and athletes and celebrities of all forms from every creative background are out there showing that this is the right way to live, whether it's for your health or it's for the planet. And I think that eventually turns into this decades and centuries of cultural programming to be undone. And I think we're seeing that. We may not completely know where this is headed right now, but if we continue, and I think if you continue and others continue doing the work that we're doing, uh, in a few years we would have seen a real shift happen where people no longer think it's it's uh, it, that you need milk for uh, strong bones and you need to have animal protein, especially in schools um, and hospitals and other places like that where they definitely do not belong. So... It's interesting. We're in a very early stage. We probably don't see the bigger picture yet, but uh, we're, we're hopefully the ones helping to to paint it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I have a I have a dream, a wish dream, <laughs> because I equate meat and dairy to what cigarettes were. That people were told that they are good for you. They're healthy, and doctors smoke them, and and we've all been told that you know meat and dairy is good for us, and it makes us strong and healthy. And there were, you know, there was a moment when you know smoking just slowly by slowly, people realized it wasn't good for you, and it was moved out of public places, and you know, certainly in L.A., it's really, really challenging to get a swiff of cigarette smoke. <laughs> and when you do, when I do, I immediately think, well, no, wait a minute. They're polluting my air. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like that smell. I don't want to smell it. And it's polluting my air. 
And my hope and dream is that there will be a moment, hopefully not too far in the future, that, you know, there will be there will be restaurants that are still serving meat, but that the majority of people will be eating plant-based. And that one person sitting in the back of the restaurant having a burger or a steak will be greeted with glares that that person that you that that person is polluting our land and our water and our air it's not even just a personal choice of making themselves sick mm-hmm. but the fact that it's because they're eating that burger or that meat it's having an effect on me it's having an effect on my children it's having an effect on all of the children of the world and you know my personal mission is to make the world a better place for all of our children to grow up in so i am just going to keep that image in my mind and i hope one day <laughs> it will be like that <laughs> yeah no that's a beautiful image and you're you're so right i mean i it, eventually people will start seeing it that way um because that is the truth it's just we don't see it right now. Most people don't see it. And and that was the case with cigarettes years ago. And for someone, you know, who eats meat probably thinks this is a bit crazy. Um, but if you really, really question what it is and what the impact of those choices are, uh, it, it is not at all crazy. In fact, uh, the devastation that that those food choices have uh, make on the planet and the, the impact it has on other people is probably more than what cigarettes have. So undoubtedly more than what cigarettes have. So uh, it is not at all absurd. So perhaps you've already kind of answered this question, but I I, I love to to close out my conversations with a very forward-looking question. And and, and perhaps you just painted that picture, but uh, if there's anything you want to add to it, that would be even better. But, you know, I typically like to ask... um, what is your vision for the year 2050? Uh, and you, there's real reasons why I give the year 2050s. We'll be about 10 billion people on the planet. Um, if we don't get it right in the next 10, 15 years, or maybe 12 years, according to the new UN report, then we uh, it will be too late. And um, so, but if we do get it right, my question is, if we do manage to get it right, um, and if we, the work that you're doing with OMD, uh, with uh, the other, the farms and the school, um, and if the work that everyone else in this better food movement is is working so hard day and night on, if it all succeeds and if we end up shifting this food system and changing the way people eat, uh, what do you envision uh, the food system really to look like in the year 2050 um, if you get it right, not the doomsday scenario, but one of hope. Right. <laughs> right. Using, using that word hope. Um, well, in a perfect world, you know, 99.9999% of people will be plant-based, <laughs> number one. And, you know, that not only is a situation that will help our environment, but the amount of people that are going to be living on this earth we have to we have to shift to a plant-based diet because people won't we can't survive eating meat the way we 
eat it. I think it was Johan Rockström that said we need if we decide if we continue down this path, we'll need four more <laughs> Earths in order to grow that much meat, and we don't have four more Earths. Number one, and people are starving and they're not eating well because we're using so much land to grow beef and dairy or to grow the crops that are being fed to the animals. And so I hope that we are able to, my vision would be to take that land back from animal agriculture and grow food, grow vegetables and grow fruits and, you know, give, give life instead of take life. Yeah, I think you're you know that that's an amazing picture. At the end of the day, I, I think we have we're at this phase where we can learn from our mistakes from the last seventy years or so. Um and the moment we learned what got us to the point where we are at now where we're facing this likely doomsday scenario, um we have the power now to change that. And I think I I, I really do think, I have hope like you do, that people will wake up and, and decide to make a change in whatever way they can in their own lives. Um, and if they don't do it for themselves, they will do it for their kids and their grandkids. Because if we don't do anything, then there's there's no doubt that in the year 2050, uh, this won't be a very pretty planet to live on, and it won't be very great for people who are living on it. Um, so Susie Amos Cameron, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm very excited for people to check out your book, um, One Meal a Day for the Planet, and for your movement that you've launched with it to do really big, impactful things in the years ahead. And I'm mostly grateful for the fact that you're using your position of privilege and power to focus on something that truly matters. Um, in fact, it is probably the biggest, most important problem we face right now as humanity is um, how do we get people to change the way they eat to save the world and to pre preserve it for years and years to come. So thank you once again for being on the podcast. And I look forward to, to following the work that you're doing for years ahead um, and to do stuff with you and work together on this very important mission that you're on. Thank you so much. And just a word of hope. If my brisket-eating, rib-eating brothers and sisters in Oklahoma can change their diet, then I have hope for this world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Susie, and, uh, and look forward to connecting with you real, again really soon. But uh, thanks for all the work that you're doing. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Neil. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.
headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.